Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He was created in the image and likeness of God. And this means that the image of God, the image of the Trinity, is imprinted upon every human being. So the picture here, let us, it's a plural, after our likeness. And so by pointing to the plural number, and I'm quoting here a Russian Orthodox theologian, Sergei Bulgakov, and this is his point of departure. His idea is that the tri-hypostasity, a picture of the divinity, the tri-unity of the image of God, is found in every human image. We could confirm this in the New Testament. Certainly the idea that human beings are created in the image of God and we could extrapolate to many human characteristics which may reflect the divine image you know our capacity for creativity for love for fellowship or the human capacity for language they all may reflect the divine image within us part of the divine image in Genesis though and I think included in the image is fellowship with God or participation in who God is. In the Western tradition, this notion of participation, what is called theosis or apocatastasis in the Eastern Church, has been partially obscured. Bolgakov is a Russian theologian. He passed through atheism. He became an avid Marxist before his conversion and becoming a Russian Orthodox priest. But his theology conveys this direct sensibility of God's presence. And I think it's something that we need to recover. His depiction of the fundamental human experience of personhood. In that he sees a direct reflection of the image of God. And I think we should see that too. And so rather than writing analogously, you know, this was Thomas Aquinas' picture that, well, we're always speaking in an indirect fashion about God. He presumes to speak directly about human experience as participation in who God is. And so there's no presumed gap or distance between creator and creation. Jesus Christ brings together humanity and deity, the creator and creation. And even as he describes the particular failings of humanity and he chooses philosophy as a place to illustrate this, that even in these failings there is illustrated the Trinitarian personhood that is there just in human thinking and human experience. And so his starting premise is a kind of 
Trinitarian holism that's just necessary for cognition, for thinking. His point is this cannot be reduced to something else. You can't reduce human personhood, human reason to something less than that. That is that reason itself, apart from human subjectivity, is without a foundation. And so presumed throughout is the eternality of the humanity of Christ. That is, Jesus Christ, the humanity of Christ, is as much a part of who God is as the deity of Christ. So that the truth of this intra-Trinitarian relationship, that's the truth of God and humans. And so the incarnation of Christ is not a temporary, it's not a partial truth. There are not two realms of truth. There is one necessary realm of truth which reveals itself in human personhood. First of all, in the humanity of Christ, but in all persons. And all of this then points us to God and who God is. And so what gets obscured according to Bulgakov and what he aims to recover is this focus on personhood, particularly the person of God revealed in Christ and taken up then in the human image. And the manner in which the person of Jesus Christ bridges or brings together the antinomies or the seeming contradictions, you know, heaven and earth, divine and human, the oppositions perceived between even creator and creation, these are brought together in the God-man. And so Bulgakov applies Trinitarian theology, very much like Paul does in Romans 7. That is, Paul talks in Romans 7 about three parts to individual persons. He doesn't mention God. He doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. He doesn't mention prayer. What he's describing is human beings isolated from experience of the Trinity, as if that's a possibility. And so the human subject absent the Trinity in his picture doesn't hold together. But of course, chapter 7 of Romans leads to the climax in Romans 8. You know, one might begin with the law. One might begin with the ego, which is Paul's word. One might begin with the body of death, Paul's word. But what is missing in Romans 7 is God. And Paul is picturing humanity absent deity, or humanity refusing deity. And then in Romans 8 is the picture of a full participation, the truth of participation in the Trinity. And so the negative moment points to its resolution in Christ. Romans 8, 29, that we are being conformed to the image of his Son, and then in Romans, the picture, of course, is a participation in the Trinity. We're created in the image of God, and this image is being perfected in us. And Paul fills in the functioning of the human subject as a participation in Christ, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, through our place in Christ by means of the Spirit. That is, who we are is Trinitarian the human project, it's always a striving to bring together 
that which outside of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit cannot be made to cohere. In philosophical terms, we begin with a basic mistake. And so Bulgakov, he begins with the Greek word for choice, which is just etymologically the word for heresy, heresis. So that philosophy, in his estimate, is by definition a heresy. All philosophy bears the singular characteristic of arbitrary election, he says. The choice of some single thing or part instead of the whole that is precisely one-sided. Rather than beginning with the reality of God in Christ, we would begin with choices, perspectives, or some portion of reality. Rather than beginning with the wholeness of reality, the reality of God, and extrapolating reasonably from this reality, philosophy begins with reason, and so too we would attempt to describe reality, whether it's inductively or deductively, imagining that we can begin apart from this wholeness. And so he raises the question, why? He says, well, this is just the human project. This is the spirit of the system, the pathos of system. And a system is nothing other than the reduction of many and all into one. And conversely, the deduction of all and many out of one. And so he describes it as the drive of the human sickness. He calls it the manifestation of original sin. That is, this portion of what he's describing is fallenness. And philosophy then is simply a case in point of the human predicament. Sort of Paul's picture in Romans 7. He says the philosopher has desired a system. In other words, he has wished to create out of himself, out of his own principle, you shall be as gods, the words of Satan or the serpent in Genesis. But such a logical deduction of the world is not possible for a human being. The philosopher, like every human being, has taken up this appeal of a kind of self-understanding apart from God, the dialectic of knowledge, a replacement of living reality with a kind of false reality. And so reason or philosophy, it betrays the human sickness. He says sickness, corruption, the perversion of all human existence which presented itself in original sin also in other words afflicts reason and makes it impossible for reason to gain access to the tree of heavenly knowledge. And of course what he's picturing is this scene in Genesis just repeated throughout history. Access is denied by the very fiery sword of the cherubim, the antinomies. In Pauline terms, this starting point reduces God to the system of the law. In psychoanalytic terms, which is really to say the same thing, the human sickness is to interpolate the self into the law and with the self, you know, that we would in some way imagine that we could through the law, the logos, the symbolic order, maybe philosophy, that this would serve as its own end. 
and displace then the word of God. And so Bulgakov traces the philosophical impetus or just the human impetus to the deception of sin. Not stopping, he says, short of violence. Not stopping short of self-deception, of evasions and illusions. The attempt to bridge creation and creator, subject and object, or to create a unity out of diversity, to create synthesis out of antinomies. This demands then a bringing down of the world in a sense. He says every philosophy dimly or distinctly, instinctively or consciously claims to be the absolute philosophy and each of which regards its own sketch of what is as the system of the world. And of course he's thinking here of Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Hegel is the, his, is the characteristic illustration of overcoming thesis antithesis, overcoming the antinomies. Hegel in his person and all philosophy supposes it can bind reality into a system. It presupposes what is impossible. And of course what he's saying about philosophy is just what he's saying about the human predicament. We would imagine that we could explain thought, cognition, experience, uh, apart from the givenness of being human. It presupposes what is impossible. To begin from itself or generate from itself what can only come from what exists. And so the impossibility shows itself in the characteristic failure of philosophy or of the human situation to take a portion of reality to begin with either personhood, with some predicate, some ideal, or just to begin with being and imagine that we could bring the whole from out of any one of these. He sums it up in I am something, that sentence. The subject, the copula, and the object. It's a true enough statement, but what we would do is cut that apart. It cuts the subject from the predicate, or it posits what creates and says from what is created. We would separate ourselves who I am from what I say. We would separate the subject from their ethics. And so the same story could be told in psychoanalysis, it could be told in theology, can be told in philosophy. That is that we strive to unify the self experienced as mind and body and what I say and what I do don't hold together. There is a split then, a three-way split, and this is Paul's picture. There is the ego, there is the, you know, the imaginary self, there's this dissonance, a kind of death drive, as Paul describes it, the body of death. This point is universalized in Paul's picture of the law. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But Paul includes the religious, the legal, the sexual, the social, that every form, every aspect of the human predicament. He talks about the split between 
myself, you know, I do what I don't want to do. He talks about a Jew-Gentile split, male-female, slave-free, mind-flesh, body-spirit, caused by the law. And it would be resolved by the law. That is, the problem and the solution are the place that we start. The resolution, I think, in the New Testament. It's not so much to resolve the dilemma, but to begin somewhere else. To begin with the person and reality of, the, of God as Trinity. Paul's presumption, the Christian presumption, is that we are created in the image of God. And it is only on the basis of the divine image that the human image can even begin to be understood. Like the divine person, the human person cannot be defined. The essence of the person consists precisely in the fact that we are indefinable, we are indescribable. We stand beyond the limits of the world and we're continually being revealed through our activity in the world. So the life force or spirit of the human subject, it's no more definable than the divine spirit. Just as the son bears the image of the father, so too every child of God is defined in this relationship. Bulgakov says, eternity belongs to personhood. It is eternal in the same sense as eternal God, who himself breathed his own spirit into humanity at the latter's creation. The human being is the son of God and a created God. The image of eternity is an inalienable and indelible part of him. He's talking about Christ, that Christ is God, but Christ is created. But he's also talking about every human subject. The person is the beginning, the, the, the place in which all predication begins. The Father, Son, and Spirit are the reality of subject, predicate, and being. The Father is revealed through the Son. And this lived out realization is the work of the Spirit. This participation in the divine reality is the reality behind human thought and experience. Colossians 3.10 You have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17 But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Our life, our image, our personhood shows forth the image of God. Eternity is showing forth. And it is in Christ that this image is being completed in us. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. 
If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.